The following sermon was preached by me, Jeremiah Cox, at the Elm Street Church of Christ in El Reno, Oklahoma. It is my prayer that you are edified by this study, and I encourage you to test all things by the Word of God. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, the scripture reads, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I think we can appreciate that a little more this morning with the snow about us and count it a blessing to be able to come together and worship God and, and celebrate the forgiveness and the cleansing of our sins that is described as such in Isaiah chapter 1. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. I'm certainly thankful for your safe passage here. Pray for your safety going home. And I know that we are certainly joyful to be here considering the circumstances of the weather this morning. You know, getting into the lesson, I think that it's quite clear in reading Scripture, but perhaps even more clear in living our lives for Christ that we're a peculiar people. We're called the special people of God in uh, Titus chapter 2, but probably more likely a description of how peculiar we are to the world is in 1 Peter 4 and verse 4 when speaking of the fact that they had spent enough time in their life living as Gentiles and now they're to be separate from those immoralities that the Gentiles think it strange that you do not walk with them and participate with them in the same flood of dissipation. And because of that, they speak evil of Christians. And what does that really look like? I think especially in things of immorality and concepts of that, they think it's strange that we would refrain from doing certain things that they enjoy doing. But also, I think that people in the world think it's strange when they see our commitment um, to things like worship, the fact that we traveled this uh, distance this morning and um, snowy conditions instead of just staying home. And certainly, uh, we run a risk at any time in coming to worship, but when it's elevated, some may think it's strange that we do these things. Or just the fact that we study our Bibles all the time. Um, or when we pray at perhaps restaurants, people think it's strange. Or um, the sacrifices we make as Christians, as members of the Lord's body, and, and the way prioritizing these things manifest themselves, where, for example, with sacrificing uh, an individual um, may miss something that someone would deem extremely important because there's a gospel meeting and I'm going to go to the gospel meeting because my brethren are assembling and I'm not going to forsake that assembly or perhaps some other situation. But the way these priorities manifest themselves causes people to wonder why we do the things that we do. Why do we act that way? And and why have we made those decisions? What What was included in me making the decision to either do this at the neglect of this or to not do this because I think it's wrong. What, why do we do the things that we do? And while we need to be able to give that answer to people in the world, I think that it's of utmost importance first that we give some time to introspection to find out what we really think about these things. Why do we really do the things that we do? Why do we think the way we think? Because we may know the right answer to give people, but is that really true? Why are we here this morning? Why do we even bother or do we bother to study our Bibles when we're not together? Why, why do we make the decisions that we make? Is it merely a matter of preference? That's what many people in the world would think. It's just your preference. It's just how the way you've decided to live your life. But, but is that really a matter of preference for us? And, and we've got to be honest with ourselves 
we know the right answers again, but is it merely a matter of preference for us? Or are we truly convicted? Is it merely a matter of tradition? Is it merely a, a family business we're a part of? You know, I was quote-unquote raised in the church, and we often use that phrase. And it's not impossible for someone to to have their own personal conviction in these things, even though they were raised in the church, so to speak. In fact, it's by God's design that those who are faithful would raise faithful children. But is it simply a matter that my family has been involved in and that's why I'm a part of it? Or maybe you weren't raised in that way, but maybe you married someone who has been all about this all their life. And am I just assimilating to the family values? And that's why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. Is this just a matter of comfort for me? It's it's more comfortable for me to live this way. And if I were to stop doing these things, it's not a matter of me thinking it would be somehow wrong, but it would just be uncomfortable for me to change. Am I just trying to maintain the status quo of of my life? Again, I don't want to change. And so a question we may ask ourselves is, if we were separated from everyone and everything that we know in our lives right now, we weren't married to the same person, we didn't have the same friends. We weren't a part of the same family. We weren't in this area that we're used to. We, we're just completely separated from everything and everyone we know at all. Would we still be doing the things that we do in Christ? Or would one of those reasons that we do these things for be taken away? What is our incentive, in other words? What is our purpose? What's this all about? Why are we doing what we're doing? And we need to ask ourselves this question each and every day. You know, it was a problem with the Jews that we've recently studied that they did not really know what it was all about, being a Jew, what the old law stated, what they knew and what they did from day to day as a person of the children of Israel, and they missed the point. In Romans 2 and verse 17, it says their boast was in God, and they had the pride as they rested on the law and knew His will. But as we recently studied in John chapter 5, we see what begins to unfold is that they don't really understand what this is all about or else they would accept Jesus. In John 5 in verse 39, you might remember that Jesus told them, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me, but you aren't willing to come to me that you may have life. In other words, if you would have known what this is all about, if you truly were doing the things that you were doing, and believing the things that you're believing and teaching the things that you're teaching and talking about the things you're talking about and having your decisions in your life governed in the way you're having it governed, if you really knew why that was important, you knew what it was all about, then when you saw the proof of, as the witnesses he mentioned himself, John the Baptist, the miracles that have been performed, you would have accepted me. And so the point Jesus is making is that you know the Scriptures, you know them well, you search them daily, you, you know them back and front, front and back, but you completely miss the point. You don't know what this is all about. In Galatians 3.24, Paul mentioned that the old law is a tutor to bring us to Christ. And likewise, in Romans 10 and verse 4, it says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so the point is that men would be justified and the old law would lead men to the one who would justify them by his death and his teaching would be the teaching of this messianic kingdom. And so if they really were looking for that truly, and not, not what they thought of it, but what God said it was, then when Christ came in the man Jesus, they would have accepted him. 
but they didn't. He goes on to explain in verse 41, I do not receive honor from men. I'm not, I'm not just wanting your honor. I, I, I've, I know that I'm right. I know I'm from God. That's not the point. But he, he draws a point regarding them on that basis. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name to him, you will receive. In other words, you know, I don't need your honor, but you still need to receive me, but not based on just my words. He said in verse 31, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. He said, I come in my Father's name. So if you really want to honor God, then you'll accept me, you'll believe in me, you'll follow my teaching because it's one and the same as God's. But the reason you don't accept me, he says, I know you don't have the love of God in you. I know you don't really love God. You're not really in this for the right reasons. You don't really know what this is all about. And it's just manifesting itself because you're rejecting God's will as you reject me. We see a little bit more about this as the gospel unfolds in John eleven forty eight. after Lazarus was raised from the dead. And it was indisputable. People knew this was a miracle that had occurred. It says in verse 48 that if we let him alone like this, the Jewish leaders were conspiring together. Everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away our place and nation. That's what they thought about. That's why, why did they, why did they live moral lives in comparison to the pagans? Why, why did they go to the temple daily? Why did they search the scriptures daily? It wasn't about spiritual things. It wasn't about the love for God. Jesus said they didn't have that. It wasn't about honoring God. It wasn't about really wanting the truth. All it was about was their place and nation. It had been politicized. And it had been very much a material concept to them. In chapter 12, it says some people believed in them, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So even though they knew the scriptures and they were faithful to the assemblies in the temple and faithful in the sacrifices, they kept the feast days. They did all of these things. And some of them were even more strict than law would, would require of them. The Pharisees were. They missed the whole point. They didn't know what was it about, what it was all about. You know, as Christians, members of the Lord's church, we need to ask that question for us as individuals. What's this all about for me? Why am I doing this? Why did I come here this morning? And there are routines we go through every single week. We, we get up every Sunday morning. We maybe have our coffee. We take our shower. We get ready and we, we make sure we're doing that on time so that we can get to church. We maybe have on Saturday night set a time aside to get our Bible lessons done while everyone else is just, you know, watching TV. And we get up on Sunday to go to worship while the rest of the world views Sunday as a second Saturday. I've never known it like that, but why do I still come to worship? Why do we do the things that we do? What's this all about? And I want to suggest to you that if we miss what it is all about, we miss everything. In other words, it's not enough to just do the things that we do because we know the Bible says it. It's not enough to just think a certain way because it's what we've always thought about or to do certain things. We need to know the point of it truly and deeply as individuals. And I think that first and foremost, we could suggest that what this is all about and coming to Bible class and coming to worship and even having a, a scheduled Wednesday Bible study to refresh our minds and stuff. It's not just a matter of tradition. It's not a matter of our routine. It's not a matter of what our family has always done. It's not even a matter of this is my preference. I like doing these things, but it's about growing to be like Christ. We don't study the Bible just because it's convenient for us, or we don't study the Bible just because it's a, a basic interest of ours. You know, there are people who don't even believe in God 
who are very interested in studying the scriptures simply because it's some literary thought for them. It's, it's impressive writing and, and they understand it for its artistic value or historical value, if you will, but not because they believe it. It's not a matter of interest that we study God's word. It's not a matter of interest that we come to worship. It's not just a matter of what we've always done, but if it is, then we're missing the whole point and we need to make sure we know what this is all about. In Acts 2 and verse 42, there's a list of various things the disciples continued in that we continue in today. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. In Acts 20 and verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread, and Paul spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. We've done that today. We've come together on the first day of the week to break bread. We did it, um, or we continue to do that consistently throughout time. Every single Sunday, we come together. Hebrews 10.25 says we're not to forsake that assembly. And so we do our best to get here. We do our best to show up and not just show up, but actually to be present and not body, but also soul. We take the Lord's Supper. We hear preaching. Ephesians 5.19 says that we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 8, it speaks about in Christ's ascension, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And those gifts are familiar to us in verse 11 of Ephesians 4. He himself gave some to be apostles and prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So when we sit in a Bible class, that teacher is a gift from God. The position he holds, what he's doing is, is a part of God's design. The preacher is a part of God's design. If, if we had elders, a congregation who has elders and, and they teach and they, they go from house to house with Bible studies and they check up on the members' spiritual well-being and all that kind of stuff, and why are they doing that? And why would we listen to them? And why would we value that? Well, it's all a part of those gifts that Christ left for us. But again, we need to make sure that even though we know the right answers, we truly do know what this is all about for ourselves. Is it a matter of routine that we got up this morning? Is it a matter of routine that we'll be here, Lord willing, on Wednesday? And when there are times such as weather, which thankfully it wasn't this morning, that keep us physically where it's impossible for us to assemble. We can't get here. Does that, does that bother us? Are, are we, are we disappointed that we don't get to assemble with the Lord's people? Do these things amount to anything or is it just a mindless activity that we do where we came to worship? We, we sang the songs and we couldn't even recall the words that we said and we hear the sermon and we go home and it, it just, you know, didn't matter anything. We couldn't even tell someone what the preacher spoke about the next day or even that evening? Or is it simply an intellectual activity? We just did this to go through some intellectual processes. I like to have my mind churning on some things. I don't like to just um, space out and watching TV, but I enjoy some intellectual activities. What is it all about? None of those answers should be what is coming up in our mind. And if we deeply investigate, are those the answers we would give? Well, consider that they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, Acts 2 and verse 42. That's what we're doing here this morning. We're, we're continuing in the Apostles' Doctrine. That's what the sermons need to be based on, and that's what our Bible classes need to be based on. That's what the words we sing need to be based on, the Apostolic Doctrine. Well, in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul gave attention to their acceptance of the words of Paul and the rest of the Apostles. But he gave some description of why that was so important. For this reason, we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, 
But I want us to notice what he adds, which also effectively works in you who believe. And I think we all accept that what we study is the word of God. This is God breathed. It is not a product of men's imaginations. This is from God himself and therefore it's infallible and it's trustworthy. But we also need to understand what it's all about in studying it. It's effectively working in us in some way or so it should be. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 4 and verse 19 told those people, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. He's saying everything I do for you when I, I write this letter to you, when I visit you, when I preach among you, when when I do the work of an apostle and, and I go through this, this strenuous activity, it's so Christ is formed in you. You've, you've accepted our words, not from men, but it's the word of God and you've understood that. And it's effectively working in you. But all of our preaching, all of our teaching, all of our Bible study, everything we do that has something to do with the word of God and service to him is about Christ being formed in us. In Colossians 3 and verse 16, with regard to singing, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're not just singing because singing's fun. We're singing because we're teaching and admonishing one another in praise to God. The word of Christ is dwelling in us richly. And there in Ephesians 4, those gifts that were given, he explains why they were given in verse 12 of Ephesians 4, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, till Christ is formed in you. And so everything we do, everything we respond to in regard to God's word, the times we study and the sermons we hear and the songs that we sing. It's all about Christ being formed in us, which means that it involves more than our simply sitting and listening or reading it. It involves our activity in regard to that. It re- involves Christ being active in our lives. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so am I really walking in the steps of Jesus or has this just become an intellectual activity for me? And I want to tell you that if we hear a sermon or we, we study the Bible and we read the Bible and and we hear a class and, and we leave and we go into the world and nothing has changed whatsoever, then we have missed what this is all about. If Christ is not formed in us, if we are not living for Christ, as Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain, Philippians 1.21, then we have missed everything. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 14.26. How is it then, brethren, which whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation. He says, let all things be done for edification. And remember in chapter 4 of Ephesians, that edification, that building up is to be a mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so edification is not simply encouragement. Some would try to conflate those two terms. Edification is not encouragement. Um, it's not anything to do with emotionalism. It's information-based. It is being built up in our soul in regard to the information of the gospel of Christ, and that is so that we can act on those things and Christ is formed in us. And so this is not all about just coming to know your Bible better. That's involved in it. It's about us letting God's word dwell in us and that by action, Christ living in us. 
And we always got to make sure that's our purpose in doing these things. And that's why it's so important to make sure we're not just doing these things when we're here, but if it is truly all about in our minds, letting Christ be formed in us and growing to be like him, then it's going to be an everyday thing. You know, we might question ourselves. If I have not studied the Bible consistently this past week, is it really all about in my life letting Christ be formed in me? If not, it seems like it's become a matter of routine. I come to church and we do the Bible class and we listen to the sermon just because it's what I always do on Sunday. It's just what we've always done. That's not what it should be all about. Christ is to be formed in us. It requires understanding in that same chapter of 1 Corinthians 14. He talks about if someone prays and he prays with the Spirit, but there's not understanding because there's not an interpreter and all of those things. If there's no understanding, then it, it doesn't do anything for the people who are hearing without understanding. Edification comes from our understanding, so it requires attention and participation and engagement. It requires preparation. We'll get more out of Bible classes, in other words, if we do our Bible lessons. And we'll get more out of sermons if we're actually engaged in the study. And it's all so that we can be like Christ, not just know a little more about the Bible, just to know a little more about the Bible, but to live it. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, Paul describes it in this way, when we were buried with him in baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. This is about a new life, which means not the same life we lived before. And he elaborates on that. In verse 6, he speaks about how the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. But he adds to that in verse 5 that we are in the likeness, just like with his death, we're in the likeness of his resurrection. He's not talking about, you know, we were physically raised in baptism. He's talking about a new life spiritually. And he defines that in verse 8 for us when he says of Romans 6, 8, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall live with him. And he says in verse 13, that means not presenting your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but presenting yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This is about being like Christ. This is about knowing who Christ is so that we can take those actions. He elaborates further in verse 19, and he says that just as you were as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness, which means it's not just changing a little, but it's changing daily to where we're further and further separated from sin and consecrated to God. And we, if we learn these things and we study these things and we go through these motions, so to speak, and we don't cleave to God and really add these things to our lives and completely change who we are and understand there's always something to change. There's always room to grow on a daily basis. And this just becomes a routine activity for us. And studying the Bible is just what we do because we've always done it before. And coming to church is what we do because we've always done it before. Then we are guilty of the same thing the people in 2 Timothy 3, 5 were described as being guilty of. Paul said that they have a form of godliness but deny its power. This book does nothing for us unless we know what it's all about and we apply it to our lives. You know, in connection with this too, though, it's all about bringing glory to God. You know, I think that if we fall into the reasons we've been talking about of why we do what we do and what we do what we do in regard to coming to church or studying our Bibles or reading the Bible or saying a prayer, whatever it may be, if the reason is because that's what our family has always done or that's what's most comfortable for me or that's just a part of, 
of my routine, we're really not doing it to glorify God. We're doing it to glorify men or maybe ourselves. We're, we're doing it to gain honor from men. And Jesus said, my honor is not from men. I don't want honor from men. In Galatians 1 and verse 10, Paul said, I don't try to please men. And so if someone brings a different gospel, don't accept him. This is about God and who he is and him receiving the due glory. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20, the apostle Paul said, you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And that's what growing to be like Christ is all about. It's not even how many in the world would take it. Many in the denominations would take it that I want to be more like Christ because that means I'll be a better person. I'll be a better citizen. I'll be a better part of the community. That's not what it's about either. Even though that's true, if we're like Christ, we'll be a better citizen. We'll be a better part of the community. That's not what it's about. I want to be like Christ for the single reason of glorifying God. And that was his purpose. You know, the whole problem with sin in Romans 3.23 is that when we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. That is, we fall short of, of fulfilling our created purpose to glorify God. And we're redeemed from our sins so that we can get back to glorifying God. And we do that by letting Christ grow in us. And we can understand that because that was Christ's whole purpose in coming to earth. In John 17 and verse 4, in his prayer to the Father, he said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. His work that he finished and ultimately would be consummated in his crucifixion and resurrection. But the work that he had been working and completing and finishing was glorifying God while he was on earth. And going back to our original text of John 5, we can see how he manifests that. Remember when he healed the man on the Sabbath day and they claimed that it was wrong for him to do that? He starts speaking about his equality with God and he phrases it in this way in verse 17 of John 5. My father has been working until now and I have been working. In other words, I'm doing the works of my father. In John 9, he says, I must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. That's what I'm here to do, work the works of him who sent me. But he elaborates on that in quality, showing that he's not doing this out of his own volition. He's not doing this out of his own will. He's not doing this because he thinks it's what's best. He's not doing this to gain popularity from men, but he's doing it because he's one with the Father and he can only do the Father's will. Verse 19, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Verse 30, he says similarly, I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my will, but the will of the Father who sent me. He says in verse 30, uh, we just read verse 30. In chapter 7, in verse 16, he explains when he's speaking about how his doctrine is from God, and therefore, if they really wanted God's teaching, they would accept his teaching. He explains that in regard to his honor he gives to God. My doctrine is not mine, John seven sixteen, but his who sent me. He says, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. In other words, I'm not teaching what I'm teaching, because I think it's right. I'm not teaching what I'm teaching because it's my decision. I'm not teaching what I'm teaching to gain your following for my purpose. I'm teaching what I'm teaching, Jesus says, because I'm one with the Father and I can't teach anything separate from His will. And that's how we need to think about these things. We are doing what we're doing and we're studying the Bible so much, or so we should be, not because we want to stand out in the crowd, not because... We want to make our mom and dad proud or our grandma or grandpa proud, not because we want to carry on some kind of tradition that we've always been a part of, 
we're doing this and we're here this morning or so we should be because it's God's will. And the only way to glorify God is to act not according to our thoughts, not according to our estimations and our opinions, but simply according to God's will. You know, even if we're doing the truth and we are knowing the truth and studying the truth and living the truth, if the reason we're doing what we're doing is because it's what we think is best or what we're most comfortable with, then we're missing the whole point and it's not doing anything for us. We've got to be doing these things because it's God's will. Again, some would suggest that all religion boils down to one thing. And you've got all these different denominations, all these different forms of Christianity using that term loosely. And a lot of them agree that it all boils down to one thing, just being a good person. But that's not what it boils down to. I want to tell you, following Christ and glorifying God will make you a good person. But just being a good person is not enough because some will define being a good person as as being charitable, as being giving, as as making sure we compliment people when we get an opportunity and being kind and being nice. But but me being an adulterer or me being a fornicator, that that doesn't mean I'm not a good person because I'm doing all these other things. You know, being a good person is relative when it comes down to it, unless we find the standard and that being God's. And then it's not just about being a good person. It's about glorifying God. It's about creating or fulfilling our created purpose. When we do what we do, is it because we would be a disappointment if we did something else to our family or to the church even, which maybe are some things that could play into this, but when it boils down to it, is that really the only reason? Or are we doing it because we want to glorify God? In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, Paul said, Therefore, whatever you, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There in that context, he was talking about the liberty of eating meats offered to idols. And it would be on a case-by-case purpose because it's a liberty. If you're in your house by yourself, it's not a sin. God has said it's okay, but... But case by case, if this is going to cause my brother to stumble, make my brother uncomfortable, that's not going to glorify God. So why would I do it? If if we're doing something, it should be from the basis and from the motivation of bringing God the glory. Maybe further applicable is Colossians 3 and verse 23, which says this, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And it's in the context of bond servants obeying their masters and everything. And they don't do it even because they want to be a good servant. I want to be a good bond servant or I want to be in our world, a good employee. I want to be a good employee. I want to, to contribute to this business. I want to make my boss's job easier or I want my coworkers and my boss to like me. Those are good reasons, I think, but they're not the reason for a Christian. And if those are the only reasons, no matter how good they may seem in their context, they're not doing anything for us spiritually. The reason a Christian shows up to work on time and the reason a Christian doesn't steal time from that company, the reason a Christian works when the boss is not around because he doesn't do it with eye surface as men pleasers is because they do it heartily as to the Lord. And it's the same thing for students. It's the same thing in our relationships. Why am I doing what I'm doing with the people closest to me? Is it just to be a good friend? Because I think this is what makes a good friend. Or is it because I'm doing it as heartily to the Lord? This is what God expects of me to bring shining light to his presence and glorify him on earth. That should be our purpose. And so when we go to Bible studies, when we come to worship and we learn about these things, we don't need to view it just as something that makes us a little different from 
the friends we have at work or school or whatever it may be. And, and we're proud of what we stand for. We're proud of what our family is about. We're proud of what our church is about. It's because God said it, and I want to bring glory to Him. And if we miss that, we miss everything. And lastly, it's all about laying hold on eternal life. And so everything else goes completely out the window because things are going to change. Maddie and I and, and Bella, we were studying in class this morning, starting a new study on every form of evil and abstaining from that, about the authority of God in moral things and moral matters. And the fact that God decides what is moral and what is immoral. And the fact that that is going to be completely different through time from society, because while sometimes society may agree with what the Bible says, they won't always agree. And we can see it clearly in the downward spiral of our nation and moral principles. Things that were completely unheard of not long ago are now normal, and people who stand against them are the ones who are castigated and put out. And because everything changes in this life, it cannot possibly be that we're doing what we're doing to fit in with society, to be a good person, to be a good citizen. You know, being a good citizen of America now would be falling in line with all the moral decline. Even those who are, quote, conservative, unquote, in our nation today are usually not morally conservative. I know there are exceptions, but we are in the vast minority in our nation. Our nation is not a nation of God. Our nation is a nation that is immoral like any other nation. And we need to realize that we're not standing for these things simply to be a part of the community and assimilate to this society. We're not doing these things even because it is the norm of what people think. We're doing these things because no matter what the world says, this is the only way to heaven. And that's our goal. And if we don't have that understanding of what we do, that we've got to do these things or we've got to abstain from these things. If we're to lay hold on eternal life, then our entire devotion to God is going to come crumbling down. That's what holds it up. It's the impetus of doing what we do. You know, God gives us incentive. He says, there is a crown of life waiting for you. And if you want to grasp hold of it, you've got to follow my word. And if, if we're just doing it because it's what we've always done, or if we're just doing it because it's convenient at the time, then we're missing the whole point and we're not going to lay hold on eternal life. No man has ever been pleasing to God by doing something without doing it, knowing that God said to do it and that's why I'm, I'm doing it. And no man's going to get to heaven without aim. The reason we do what we do is to lay hold on eternal life. In Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. If that's not motivation enough, then I don't know what is. And if that's not our motivation already, then we need to make it our motivation. Therefore, in Colossians 3.17, whatever we do in word or deed, do we, we do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because we want eternal life. Not because we're just following the traditions of our ancestors. We want eternal life. This was Paul's instruction to the young evangelist Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 11. He said, you, O man of God, flee these things. We remember the context is about the love of money, which is a root of all kinds of evil and how people who want to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. It drowns men to destruction and perdition. It, it makes their lives miserable as they seek to be rich and it leads them down a path of immorality and ungodliness. So he says, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, 
gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. That's our reason for doing these things. We don't just want to stand out. You know, some people just like to be different. So I'm going to be a little more strict than these people over here because I I want to be different. I want to seem better. No, I want to do these things because if I don't, I won't get eternal life. That is the reason we do the things that we do. And you see, as, as we put that into the connection with the Jews problem, when they rejected the Christ, we can understand how would it, it would affect our life if we don't know what it's all about. If we're not doing what we're doing and searching the scriptures vividly and with great diligence to make sure we're rightly dividing it and doing exactly what God wants us to do and abstaining from exactly what God wants us to abstain from. And we don't know that that is necessary and that is why we're doing it to lay hold on eternal life. Then it's only a matter of time when something comes along that steps on our toes or would require us to change our lives completely, that would completely alter the way we live and cause us to give the greatest sacrifices to God where we will compromise because it's been a matter of convenience and not about laying hold on eternal life. We need to understand what the Apostle Paul understood in Philippians 3 and verse 12 when he said, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, When we make points like I just made about something coming along that would completely alter the way we would live our life and cause us to make the greatest sacrifices of God, and we may think that that'll never happen. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to come to America. Persecution? No. I'm not going to have to drastically change the way I live. Well, take Paul for a case in point. Because he had Jesus appear to him, and it changed entirely what he did in his life. The persecutor became the persecuted. And the reason he was willing to do that is because everything he was doing in the first place, even though he was honestly mistaken, everything he was doing in the first place was to be what God wanted him to be, glorify God and lay hold on eternal life. And so when he found out what he was doing was wrong, he changed. Because it wasn't about tradition or else he would have stayed where he was. It wasn't about pleasing his family. He would have stayed where he was. It wasn't about pleasing his friends. He would have stayed where he was. It wasn't about convenience or comfort. He would have stayed where he was. It was about laying hold on that crown of righteousness. And so he changed. In verse 20 of that same chapter, he explains that our citizenship is in heaven. That's what our goal is. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. And chapter 4 is not separated in original text. He makes the application. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. So stand fast. Why? Because you're a citizen of heaven. And that's what you're striving for. If the decisions we make each day and the regular things we do, if the reason we're here this morning, and the reason we show up on Wednesday, Lord willing, the reason we prepare our Bible studies and our Bible lessons and we read the Word of God and we pray before we go to bed and we pray throughout the day and we pray before we eat, the reason we don't do all these things or the reason we do all these things if it's not because our goal is heaven and this is how we're going to get there, then we're completely missing the point and everything is bound to fall apart. Learning and growing in God's will then should not be a four-hour-a-week thing. Two hours on Sunday morning, one in the evening, and an hour on Wednesday night. You know, heard of lesson one time titled, A Four-Hour Christian. Are we a four-hour Christian? Because if we're a four-hour Christian, we really don't know what it's all about. 
If the only thing we do for God is on Sunday, if the only time we crack open our Bible is on Sunday, then we certainly aren't doing it to get to heaven. Because if we were, we'd be doing it every day. And we need to have our focus on that. Acts 20 and verse 32, the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian elders that he commends to them God and to the word of his grace. And he says, it's able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We don't study God's word for any other reason than to be like Christ, glorify God and get to heaven. In 1 Timothy 4.16, the evangelist Timothy is encouraged to do these things, teach them and continuing in them, because in doing so he would save himself and those who hear them. And First Peter or Second Peter 1, we recently studied, we add those things to our faith and we grow in those virtues. We make our call and election sure and an entrance to the everlasting kingdom will be abundantly supplied to us. We do what we do to be like Christ, to glorify God and lay hold on eternal life. Because if those aren't our reasons, and I know there are more, but I think those are three basic reasons, fundamental reasons that reach in other areas. But if those aren't our reasons, then we don't really know what it's all about. And if we don't really know what it's all about, then as we follow Christ, quote unquote, we think we're following Christ by simply showing up. We think we're following Christ because we know we're a member of the right church. We know the denominations are wrong. We're a member of the right church, and so we're following Christ. But if these reasons aren't why we're doing what we're doing, that's not what it's all about for us then we have simply become a shell of what God has called us to be. We're just the appearance without the substance. And that does no one any good. It certainly doesn't glorify God, and it certainly won't get us to heaven. So we need to give some time to introspection daily to make sure that we're making those decisions and we're doing those things for the right reasons so that God is glorified and magnified and we are laying hold on eternal life. If you're this morning and have not obeyed the gospel, we offer you the invitation to do so before it's too late. Jesus said that he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. On the day of Pentecost, Peter likewise said that they are to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. There's no other way. And it's not because we've always believed it and that's what we say and that's a part of our tradition. It is God's will. That's the only way for you to have that hope. And we invite you to do that this morning. If there's any other spiritual need we can assist you with, we invite you to come forward as well while we stand and sing the song that was selected.